me tell you a little story about, about uh, 18 months ago, maybe 19 months ago, um, Sarah and I actually got uh, a new car. Um, it's not actually a new car, it's just new to us. Um, it was a 2007 Buick Rendezvous. It was actually Chelsea Ogilvy's car like a few owners ago, which is kind of crazy. Um, but uh, we, we ended up buying this car from Sarah's uh, sister and brother-in-law. And um, when, the, when we first got the car, I thought, like, I don't know if I've ever seen a Buick Rendezvous before. Like, it's not a super popular car. They don't even, they don't make it anymore. Um, it kind of looks like uh, the car from Breaking Bad, the, the Pontiac Aztec, it's, which some people consider to be, like, one of the ugliest cars ever made. <laughs> it's not that ugly. It's, it's a good car. I like it a lot. Um, but... When we, we first got it up here, I thought, I don't think I've ever seen this car before. Um, not, as soon as we started driving it, I started seeing that car everywhere. Has anyone had this happen? Like you buy a car and you think like, oh, this is pretty unique, or I don't think I've seen this many. And then you start driving around and you're like, it's everywhere all of a sudden. I think, unless there was some big plan that everyone else was buying, these used cars in Phoenix um, at the same time I was, I think what happens there is not that there's more of, of the Buick Rendezvous on the road than before, but, but suddenly my eyes are open to something I, I couldn't see before. Right? So, some, suddenly, I'm looking at, at, at these cars in a different way. I, I mean, before, they just totally blended in for me, but now, now that we have one, now I see them all the time. I see, and every time I see one, I'm kind of, you know, you almost give like a nod, like, hey, we're in this together. <laughs> like, we got, we both have it. And uh, I think uh, we, we've been going through, well, I know we've been going through, this, uh, we've been going through Galatians, this, this sermon series called Let's Say Grace. And uh, we've actually been going through Galatians with the, the middle schoolers as well um, on Sunday mornings. And at the beginning of every week, I always say, okay, Galatians starts with a G, and it's all about a word that starts with a G. It's all about grace. It's all about this gospel of grace, and Paul brings it up over and over and over and over in Galatians. And so we've been talking about this idea of grace, and then uh, as he gets towards the end of Galatians, he begins to talk about how in, in light of us receiving this grace in this position of, of grace that we've been given, how it affects the, the way we see the world. It affects the way that we live in the world. Um, it's, it's not we live in the world in order to, to earn anything at all, but instead, because we've been given this grace, our, our eyes are made new. Because we have been given this grace, our heart is made new. A new spirit is put within us, um, which Jared talked about a couple weeks ago. And so this week, um, we're talking about this idea how living in grace means um, cultivating healthy community. And when I first got this, I was pretty excited because I'm like, I, I love community. I love being around people, and this is going to be awesome for me. Um, and it actually turned out to be a lot more difficult than, than I first expected. Um, but before we get started, I'm just going to pray for us. Lord, thank you uh, 
for, for allowing us to, to meet here freely, to, to come together and open your word. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our ears to hear. God, I pray that everything uh, that's said from the stage would be glorifying to you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are taking a look at Galatians 6 today, the last chapter in Galatians. And Paul is writing this letter to the people in Galatia. And he gets to this last chapter, and he starts off and he says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Um, He starts off with this really practical uh, advice. And we've, uh, I've been in youth ministry for a while now, and we've taken lots of kids to camps and things like that. And, uh, you know, we, we've had the opportunity, my wife and I, to, to see some kids, you know, accept, accept Christ at a camp and, and to begin following Jesus at these camps. And something I always try to make known to them is that we're up at this camp and, and, you know, it's a beautiful thing to see someone, you know, begin to follow Jesus. But I, I want them to know you're going back to the same home that you were a part of before. You're going back to the same relationships you had before. You're going back to the same environment that you were in before. You, you're changed, but not everything around you is changed. Um, and, and so there's almost this surprise, even though we tell them that, there's almost this surprise that when they get home, not everything is magically fixed. Like, not everything about their life is perfect now. There's still struggles. And, and I would argue that the, the Bible says that if we, um, if we be, you know, begin to follow Jesus, probably our struggles are going to increase. Probably things might even get a little harder than they were before. Um, but... Uh, I, I love how he starts Galatians 6 because there's this practicality. There's not this, he's not pretending that things are going to be perfect. There's this honesty to it that says, look, there's going to be problems. It's going to be messy still. Like it, it, You guys are, are Christians, you're following Jesus, but guess what? It's still messy. Relationships are still messy. It's going to be hard. There's going to be things that are, are tough to do. There's going to be conflict, even. It's funny, I was telling Sarah last night about, you know, the sermon and some of the things I was going to talk about, and I got to this part, and I was like, yeah, and I'm going to, you know, we're talking about, like, engaging in conflict, and she said, oh, that's ironic, and I, and I was like, oh, wow, and she said, no, it's just like, you're like a nine, you're just so bad at, like, engaging in conflict, like, you're terrible at it. And I thought, like, well, yeah, I know what ironic means. I get it. Um, <clears throat> and, and I am. And, and so as I'm up here preaching, I'm probably preaching to myself more so than anyone in here. But if we are to follow Jesus' example, it means that we are going to have to engage in conflict. Um, John, in, in his gospel... John 1, 14, says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I like the way that the message version um, says it. 
It says that the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. This is the, this is the whole idea of the incarnation. Uh, this is what you know, people will be talking about in, in three or four weeks when Christmas comes around. This idea that God put on skin, became a man, and dwelt among us. It's this idea that here's, here's Jesus in, on his throne in heaven. He leaves that, and he enters into the mess that we've created in order to engage with us and in order to, in order to change things. He wasn't okay just, just sitting and watching from, from up in heaven. He, he came and he engaged and he became part of, of us. He became one of us. And so uh, if, if Jesus enters into our problems, entering into our world, then, then we ought to do that with others. When, when conflicts arise, when the lives of people around us get messy, what are we going to do? Are we going to dismiss those things, or are we going to engage in them? I think there's really kind of three, three options for us that we can do. We can, we can dismiss um, others, other people's mess, other people's uh, brokenness, um, other people's sin. We can, we can dismiss it. We can say, okay, that's, that's not my life. It's not my thing. You know, he, he can deal with his own stuff, and I'll deal with my own stuff. Um, I don't really want to, you know, get involved in that. It's going to be messy. Um, and, and a lot of us will do this because we don't want to seem judgy, right? We don't want to go to someone who's struggling, who's, who's maybe made a mess of their life and say, hey, look, I, I see some, some things that aren't lining up here because we're afraid that that's going to come off as, as oh, you know, don't, don't judge me. Don't tell me what I need to be doing. And I would argue that judging that someone would look more like the dismissal and, and not the engagement. It would look more like making a, a judgment in your head that says, you know what, they're broken, they're messed up, they're a hypocrite. They're never going to listen anyway to what I have to say. And so I'm not even going to get into it. I'm not even going to engage in it. And so you, we could choose to do that. It's not what God calls us to do, but we could. The, the second thing I think we tend to do is we, we enter into this like fake engagement, this, this pretend engagement where, okay, we know it's not okay just to dismiss other people's mess and their sin and the, and the struggles that they're going through and just say, like, okay, you go do you. Um, but we don't really want to get involved because it's hard and, and it could be painful and it could be... Uh, something that maybe hurts. And so instead, what we do is we bring someone's sin to other people. And we start saying, man, have you seen what, what Tommy is doing? I use Tommy because I don't think we have any Tommies here. <laughs> have you seen what Tommy is doing, right? Like, whew, it's pretty, I mean, we should probably pray for him. He's pretty bad. Like, yeah, he, he, he's drinking a ton on the weekends. He's pretty... He's pretty upset. I think he's even drinking during the day now. Oh, my gosh, this guy. And so we begin to talk about it with other people, and it's under this guise that, hey, we care about Tommy, so let's talk about Tommy. But we've never even gone to Tommy and done anything to help Tommy. It's, this is really, I think, the source of a lot of Christian gossip is the, the Bible study prayer 
of, hey, can you pray for Tommy? I know he's really struggling because he's done some pretty bad things lately. Like, what? You know, it's like, it's juicy stuff, and, and it's a way we can sort of get away with this, is this, this fake engagement. But what Jesus calls us to is, is to engage like he did, engage incarnationally, which means we leave the comfort that we know, and we enter into their lives. And we, and we incarnation is, it comes from the word incarnate, means in the flesh. So we come in the flesh to them. And I, and I think this is the, the real, really the, a community that is marked by grace. The first thing they do is they engage with people rather than dismiss them. They engage rather than dismiss. So he says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. First off, just something to note is he, he says, brothers and sisters. So he's talking to believers. He's saying, look, this is, you don't hold people, you don't call people sin out. You don't hold people accountable that aren't part of the body of believers. That's, it's just one of the, the things that he says. And then he says, if anyone is caught in a sin, I think this terminology is good because it's not, it's not this idea of like, I caught you, haha, like boom, gotcha. You know, it, it's not this idea of trying to catch someone in a sin. It's, it's really, the wording is more like getting caught in a trap. Uh, you know, if you were to get your leg caught in like a bear trap, this, th- that's the wording here is being caught in a sin. And so, so someone who is caught in a sin, it's not that they've just done it one time. We're not, we're not out trying to like catch everyone who does something wrong and point it out to them. That's not what he's saying here. That's not the goal here. What he's saying is there, there's been a, this pattern now in their life of this, this thing, this sin, this uh, destructive way of life that they're, they're living. And a lot of times, people who are caught in sin are blinded to it. A lot of times, they don't even know that they're caught. Because really, a person who knows that they're caught is less caught than a person who doesn't know that they're caught. Do you, know, do you get what I'm saying there? So many times, a person won't even know that they're caught. Um, they might, but many times they won't even know. And then he says, you who live by the Spirit should re- restore that person gently. Other versions will say, you who are spiritual uh, should restore him. And at this point... I think this is where a lot of us can say, okay, good. Like, it's just the, the spiritual people, like the really, you know, 30-year Christians who are, like, really killing it, and, you know, the ones who are, like, raising their hands in worship, and th- those are the ones, those are the people that they're talking about, and that's not actually at all what he's talking about. When he says, you who are in the Spirit, he says, what he's saying is anyone who has the Holy Spirit, so really, he's saying anyone who's following Jesus, anyone who, who is calling himself a Christian, who, who's part of this, this Jesus thing, this is for you. This is a command for you. You are to restore that person gently. Um, this, this word restore uh, is actually the word that they would use to to say like, oh, if you needed to set a broken bone or if a joint was 
uh, popped out of place to pop it back in place. Um, that, that's what this word restore is. And I think uh, when, you, when you read it that way, you begin to think, okay, how do you how do, you do that gently? Right? Have, you, have you ever seen someone who like popped a joint out of place, or at least in a movie? Um, it oftentimes looks forceful, and it oftentimes looks uh, painful, which it can be painful in the, in the short run, but what does it do in the long run? It allows healing to happen, right? So, so when he says, restore them gently, pop this arm back into place gently, what he's, what he's really saying is do it humbly, which is why later on in, in verse uh, 3, he says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each one, each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor. So he's come to, he's, he's come to this point where he, he's saying, look, if you think you're something, he knows that we as human beings have a tendency to get prideful. And especially when we see someone else who's messing up, what do we want to do? We want to compare, right? We want to, we want to say, okay, at least I'm not like that. I, uh, in high school, I went to calculus camp. Um, I know. Very cool. Uh, it, it actually was like one of the better experiences of my high school career. I really enjoyed it. Um, and at calculus camp, it was all the kids from calculus BC and probably AB, I think, too. So all the kids who were taking calculus get to go get to go up to uh, <laughs> this camp, and for a weekend you study and get ready for the AP tests. But really, you only are doing math like three, maybe four hours a day, which probably sounds a lot to a lot of you, uh, and it was a lot. But there was something that I really, really loved about calculus camp. If we weren't doing math, most of the time we were playing sports and having a good time. And at calculus camp, I realized something. Everywhere else, <clears throat> you know, if you were to look at me in high school, you would say, like, he's not that athletic. Jared will tell the story sometimes of coming to watch my wrestling match and um, seeing me just looking up at him in pain because of how bad I was. I didn't win a match for a whole year. Uh, I wasn't a good athlete. <laughs> Let's just say that. Um, bottom half of whatever I was doing, usually athletically. Um, but at calculus camp, <laughs> it was a totally different story. I was like, I, I just was winning everything. I was like, gosh, maybe I should have played basketball in high school. Like, I'm so good at this. I mean, I, I was like one of the, you know, two or three most athletic kids at calculus camp because I got to compare myself to the calculus kids at calculus camp. And I think that we love to do that. We love to find people who are, who are worse off than us and compare our lives to them. That's why, you know, sometimes we like watching, like, trash TV, uh, you know, not pointing at anyone here but who watches trash TV or not. Um, but you see, you see these people who are, like, really struggling, and you're like, wow, at least, that's, at least I'm not like that, you know? At least my life doesn't look like that. It's not falling apart that bad. Um, we, we love to take other people's struggles 
and say, I would never do that. And well, I think that if we are going to be restorers of people, that we need to have humility. We need to have this attitude of, but for the grace of God, there go I, which means without Jesus, I'm in the same position as them. Without Jesus, I'm just as broken. I'm just as messed up. My, my life is in just as big of a pit without God. So we need, we need to have this attitude of, of, but for the grace of God, there go I. If, if we feel like, oh, I'm so far beyond that, and you know, I, I, we, we tend to want to take this position of superiority, then it's going to be impossible for us to restore someone gently because we're more concerned with how holy we are and we're more concerned with how we can show our biblical insight and how um, we want to be right. We're more concerned with those things than we really are with seeing someone be healed. So we need to take a look at our motivations. What Do we want to be right? Do we want to be seen as superior? Do we want to be seen as smart or holy? Or, or do we actually have a genuine concern for, for the person that, that we're coming to, the person that is struggling, the person that's caught in this sin? In fact, restoring someone uh, looks a lot less like pointing out their sin than it does helping someone carry a heavy, heavy burden, which is why in verse 2, we only did one verse so far. Verse 2, he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's going to look a lot more like helping someone carry something heavy than it is someone pointing a finger. Um, it says, when we bear one another's burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ. And, and you're, at first, you might think, okay, what does that mean? To, what does it mean to fulfill the law of Christ? Well, earlier in Galatians, um, he actually says that the law can pretty much be summed up in this, that we love our neighbor as ourself. And so when he says, bearing one another's burdens fulfills the law of Christ, what he's saying is, bearing one another's burdens is how we love one another. This is how it's done. This is how it's put into practice. It's seeing other people's problems, other people's issues. This is bigger now than just, you know, someone who's struggling with sin. It, burden could be so many different things. Life circumstances that are really hard. Someone who lost a job. Someone who lost a family member. What it means to bear their burdens is, is to see their burdens as my burdens, when, when Sarah gets a flat tire and, and she calls me on the phone, I don't say, oh, that stinks, like, good luck. <laughs> that, that, that's not how it works, right? But with your, with that, I'm like, okay, we have a flat tire. Like, how are we going to fix it? Like, it's our tire. And in the, the same sort of way, when we see those, the burdens of the people around us, we ought to make them our burdens, not just say, like, oh, it stinks, like, Good luck. I think in order to help carry someone's burdens, what does it look like? Um, and I think, really, it, it looks like 
right, if I was, let's say this was very, very heavy, right? And I had to carry it with me. I'm very strong, so it's not heavy. But let's say this was very, very heavy, and I had to carry it with me. Now, if, if Paul, right here, was going to come bear this burden with me, he would have to get out of his seat, have to get on stage. He would have to almost put himself exactly where I am, right? He would have to put himself under, under this with me in order to help me carry it. I don't need the help, though. Thanks, Paul. Um, but... <clears throat> In a sense, in order to bear one another's burdens, what you have to do is put yourself in, in, in their position, to put yourself in their shoes. You have to get where they are. This is what empathy is. Uh, and this is the, the third uh, mark of a, of a grace community, is empathy. Do we, do we take the perspective of, the, of others? Do we put ourselves in other people's shoes? Do we... Listen and actually listen, staying out of, of judgment. Do we recognize an, an emotion in them and then like connect to it? Essentially, you know, as Brene Brown would say, do we go down in the pit with them? Do, do, we, do we just hold the weight with them? Uh, Brene Brown, she's a researcher who's gotten really popular in the, the last couple of years, and she talks a ton about empathy and shame. And one of her things that she says is that. Rarely does a response make, uh, make a problem better. What makes something better usually is connection. And so what happens with empathy, when we put ourselves in someone else's shoes, when we go to bear a burden with someone and we take that weight upon ourselves, oftentimes we're not fixing a problem for them. You know, you can't fix the problem if, if someone's parent has died. You can't fix the problem if someone has lost a job. Maybe you could, but depending on how powerful you are. But what you could do is you could have empathy. You could be there with them. And that, that in itself begins to fix the problem. And the second part of this bearing one another's burdens, if, you, if you're going to take this burden on yourself, you actually have to suffer a little bit. You're going to, have to actually have to suffer with them. Uh, if I'm carrying this and Paul takes some of the weight, now some of the weight is actually on him. And that might be tough. That might be difficult. You actually have to be burdened. Uh, Jonathan Edwards was a pastor in like the 1700s, and he, and he says this. We should be willing to suffer with our neighbor and take part of his burden on ourselves. Otherwise, how is the rule of bearing one another's burdens fulfilled? If we are never obliged to relieve others' burdens, except when we can do it without burdening ourselves, then how do we bear our neighbor's burdens when we bear no burden at all? He says, look, you can't bear someone's burden and not, and not be inconvenienced. Right? It's going to cost us something. It might cost us financially. It might cost us emotionally. It's probably going to cost some time. It's going to cost, it might cost you physically. I don't know what it's going to cost, but it's going to cost something to bear someone's burdens. We can't bear other people's burdens and not be inconvenienced by them at all. That's just not how it works. I think the, the great mystery and, and benefit of all, the, all of it, though, is that when we begin to bear 
others' burdens, our own burdens, begin to feel a little lighter. When we begin to take our eyes off our own problems and, and begin to help someone else carry theirs, our own load begins to, to get a little bit lighter. Um, carrying one another's burdens is really, I think, what makes Christian community different, it's sacrificial, and when we come alongside a brother or sister and say, okay, let's walk together, when you see someone who's struggling, you say, I'm going to take, let's walk to glory together, if when we begin to see other people's burdens as our burdens, God is glorified. Um, one of my favorite book series and movie series is Lord of the Rings. Um, and essentially, <clears throat> Lord of the Rings is about this hobbit named Frodo who is taking this evil ring to be destroyed. And the one place that it can be destroyed, the, the fires of Mordor, this mountain, where it was created. And so <clears throat> the, the whole story, the, the all three books, all three movies, are essentially this this journey that's taking place to this mountain. And uh, as he nears the end of this journey, towards the end of the third movie and the third book, um, he, he gets to the mountain, and it's been such a long time since he's eaten. And it's been such a long time since he's had anything to drink. And the weight and the burden of carrying this ring has just worn him down. And he just collapses. He is just crushed by the weight of it all. And he collapses on the side of the mountain that his whole goal is to get to. And that's when um, his best friend, Samwise Gamgee, shows up. And this happens. Come on! 
don't think there's a, a better picture than that of what it means to carry someone's burdens. Um, I think what's, what's really beautiful is that <clears throat> in carrying someone's burdens like that, what we do is we point to the, to the one who carried the ultimate burden for us. The, the burden of our salvation would have crushed us, and yet Jesus takes it upon himself. And that's why the Bible says that he was crushed for our iniquities. Because we couldn't have done it on our own. We couldn't have carried it on our own. We couldn't have stood under the weight of it. It would have been too much. We're going to move to communion in a moment. And uh, one of the things that we do when we take communion is, is we remember when we take the bread, we remember that it was, it was Jesus who was crushed for us. Jesus who was crushed in my place. His body was broken in my place. When we take the juice, remember that it was his blood that was shed for me in my place. It should have been mine, but it was his. He took the burden upon himself so that we could take on the burdens of others. And when we do so, we point to, to the beauty, to the, to the wonder of, of what he did for us on the cross. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you carried the ultimate burden, that you were crushed for us. Lord, I pray that we would fix our eyes upon that. We would fix our eyes upon your love for us, your willingness to bear our burden, Lord. And I pray that that, that grace would empower us to bear one another's burdens. When it seems tough, when it seems difficult, when it seems inconvenient, Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength. we could show a watching world what it means to love like you did, to bear a burden of someone else. Lord, I pray you give us eyes this week to see the burdens of others, and that you would give us hearts to do something about it. Thank you so much for what you did for us on the cross. May that be the thing that we hold on to above all else. Thank you for your grace. It's in your name we pray. Amen.